Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, <clears throat> how many of you are ready to celebrate the holidays? Kind of. This, just this section over here. Okay, I'm going to preach to y'all like 80% and give them 20%, all right? Now, uh, if, if Christmas is your favorite holiday, raise your hand. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, just shout it out. What's your favorite holiday? Valentine's Day. You can't pick that because it's just, you can't. <laughs> it's a rule. If you want to be a part of my church, Valentine's Day can't be your favorite holiday. See you later. Thanks for coming. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, I definitely think, uh, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, but for sure Christmas. You can't beat presents, right? I'm just, I'm looking forward to uh, getting the present that I already walked out on my front porch and saw. Has that happened to anybody yet? My wife bought me something. It showed up. It was not in a box. It was in the box with all the print all over. Hey, she got me a solo stove. Y'all know what those are? Have y'all seen those guys? They're awesome. I walked out of my, I walked out of my front door, and it just said solo stove all over the box. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't hiding nothing. I just was like, hey, babe, thanks for the Christmas gift. She's like, well, I ain't even going to wrap it now. I'm like, that's fine. Just put it under the tree. She won't even let me open it. I got to wait till Christmas like she's my mom or something. I'm like, I can do what I want. I'm a grown man. But yes, ma'am, I'll wait. You got it. Whatever you say. <clears throat> um, no, but for real, Merry Christmas. Uh, we're so glad that you're here today. And uh, I'm going to preach a message that, you know, we... It may not be as Christmassy as we all might like, um, but I also feel like it's just something that the Lord's really just speaking to and something that he showed me. So if you have your Bible, uh, open up to James chapter 2. I'm sorry, James chapter 1 in, in verse 2. James chapter 1, verse 2. And we'll just jump right in here, and then we'll, we'll see where the Lord wants to take us. Um, James, James 1, 2 starts off this way. It says, he says this, consider it pure joy. Can we, just, um, can we just say that word? Say joy. joy. He said, consider it pure joy. Then the next sentence makes no sense. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance then finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Brothers and sisters, consider it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Um, how many of you have ever been through a trial and you, you would consider that your faith was tested? Would you raise your hand? Anybody ever been through a trial? All right, keep your hand up for just a moment. I won't be long. Keep your hand up if it was fun. Keep your hand up if you enjoyed it. If you were like, yeah, Lord, let's do that one one more time. Much less, like, much less, have, have any of you experienced what James says, where he didn't just say consider it joy when you face the trial. He said consider it pure joy. Any ever, anybody ever been in that place where you're like, man, this is pure joy. I'm so glad I'm just suffering right now for the gospel. I'm so glad that my faith is being tested. If there's a word I could use to describe my experience, it is pure joy. 
Not many of us, right? I have to be really honest with you. I struggle with this scripture. This scripture is very, very hard to read. In fact, it's the last thing that I want to read when I'm in a trial. Uh, Nobody here wants to be going through a trial and have one of their friends or someone come alongside them and be like, hey, buddy, I know you're going through a trial, but just consider it joy. Just be joyful, though. I know it stinks right now, but just be joyful. You know, how about I punch you in the face? How about that? How about we just go round and round? That will bring me some joy. I know that'll help. No one wants to be told, like, in the middle of our trial, in the middle of our testing, to be joyful. Not only that, there's not even a spiritual gift that God gives to help us with this. No one in here has the spiritual gift of finding joy in the middle of a trial. It doesn't exist. It's not a gift of the Spirit, it's a fruit of the Spirit. No one here has a natural just kind of way about them where they just go, oh yeah, I'm in a trial, man, I feel good. But in all that, God still breathed it into Scripture. And he still breathed it into the Bible that we read. He still used the author James to write these words, which tells me this. This is going to sound really, really simple, but you need to understand this truth today. It is possible for you to experience joy in the midst of your trial. It is possible in God to actually be in joy when your faith is being tested. See, God would never tell you to consider it joy if he did not make it available for you. Everything that Jesus bought and paid for, the reason we take communion is we were reminding ourselves that everything that we read in Scripture has already been bought and paid for, and we are just called to access it by faith. So this joy that God talks about, this joy in the midst of a trial, it is actually possible. So today we're going to talk about how to find it. How do we actually find joy in the midst of our trial? And and here's why I think that this matters. Here's why I think this message actually matters. It's because the joy that you find in the middle of your trial is the very thing that will give birth to the strength you'll need to endure it. I'm going to say that again. The joy you find in your trial produces the strength you need to endure it. You see, Scripture teaches the joy of the Lord is our. The most joyful people are the strongest people. The strongest people are the most joyful people. When you have joy, you may have never thought of this before, but when you're joyful, you have a lot of strength. You like living. You like being around. You like waking up. When you just have some joy, it just, there's, there seems to be this strength that comes. That's because the joy of the Lord is actually our strength. So when, when James teaches considerate joy, when you face trials of many kind, what he knows will happen is if you can find the joy, you'll find the strength you need to endure it. You'll actually find the strength you need when your faith is being tested. So today the title of the message is finding joy when there is none. Finding joy when there is none. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your word. Yeah, Lord, I ask you today that you would help me speak clearly and precisely. Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide us into your truth today. And we just open up ourselves to you today, God. We open up spirit, soul, body to you to teach us, to move us, to grow us.
Yeah, we just say we love you in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Amen, amen. Speaking of trials, I want to, I want to invite you kind of into mine and Natalie's world. Currently, we find ourselves in a trial. Currently, we find ourselves actually in a, in a huge testing of our faith. You see, we have these little humans that are running around our house. And we can't remember how they got there. And a lot of times we're not happy that they're there, but they're there and they're there all the time. They won't leave. Why do they keep following me around and coming home with me? Why do I feel like I have some responsibility to these people? I mean, and and I'll tell you, I'm talking about my kids. If you didn't catch what I'm talking about, our kids, they are driving us crazy. We are in a season where every single one of them, mainly two out of the three, they are, they are testing every ounce, right? They are literally testing every ounce of faith that we seem to have. They're like vampires sucking the life out of us. I'm convinced they all got together one day and they're like, let's make it as miserable as we can for them. Let's burn them to the ground. Like it's like they just conspired together. I mean, here's what I got going on in my house. First of all, raise your hand if you're a parent, all right? You can relate to this. Um, I've got an 11-year-old, and he thinks he's the third parent in the house. And um, if you have one that, that, that acts like that, you know what I'm talking about. They, it's like he chimes in on the back side of everything that we say. We're like, hey, don't touch that. And he's like, yeah, don't touch that. And I'm like, bro, I don't need your help, all right? There's one person that God gifted to be the parent, and it ain't you, all right? Keep it quiet. And he just can't seem to do that. And so I have this 11-year-old telling my, my six-year-old son all the things to do. And, some, and it comes out of a pure heart. It comes out of wanting to help. But, you know, it's just not any help. And I've got the six-year-old who's like, he's kind of coming into his own. He wants to be his own man. He wants to figure things out by himself. He wants to turn the TV on by himself. He wants to learn how to operate the Roku by himself. And, and so what, this is what happens. They are, they are constantly at each other, just arguing. Um, just the other day before our men's event, I was running around doing errands and I walk into the house and Natalie's like, well, I hope you had fun being all by yourself running the errands because it's been an atomic bomb's gone off in this house. She's like, the boys won't shut up. They're being mean to each other. They're talking this way. And um, I, I, <laughs> I did, I just, I just, without even thinking, I just, in my dad voice, I walked over to the stairs. We have upstairs. I said, boys, come here. Which... In those moments, it just feels good to be a dad in those moments because you're like, oh, I'm about to lay the law down. I don't know what I'm about to say, but it's going to be good. <laughs> Boys, come here. And they came. They came to the top of the stairs, and you could see it all over their face. They're ticked at each other. They know they're about to get in trouble. And without even thinking, the best idea I've ever had came out of my mouth. I said, here's what we're going to do. Since you guys can't get it right while I'm not here and you can't help your mom out, there's no more talking for the rest of the night. And I mean it. It was like six o'clock at night. They still had two and a half hours of living in the house. We had to go through supper. We had to do everything. And they did not get to talk. And it was the best night of our lives. (laughs) It was like we, we were sitting there. We were able to talk to each other. We were actually able to hear each other. We looked around and we're like, why haven't we thought of this before? This is the best idea ever. And then I kind of like, I, I, allow, I, I, was start, I started to like to, to lecture them. 
and I started to parent the boys and I started to ask questions, but I could see on their face like, you're asking me a question. Am I supposed to talk or not? And so then I, w- I would give them just time limits. I'd be like, all right, you can talk now. All right, shut up. It's over. You're done. No more talking. No, don't explain yourself. No, no, no. We're back to the no talking thing. It was great. I don't know why I said that. Just if you need that, just use it, okay? <clears throat> so we got that going on. Not to mention we have a little girl named Kate. And she's beautiful and she's great. But she's feisty. And she's about to be three. And with all of our kids, it's never been the terrible twos. It's always been the terrible threes. And if you're a parent, you know what I mean. So we got the boys doing that. And then we got her being her little Tasmanian, you know what. And it's just crazy. And every, it's almost like every waking moment we are parenting in this, in this, this moment right now in this season. We're constantly... <laughs> discipling. We're constantly doing what we feel, what, what I know, what I know is what God has called us to do. In fact, I want to bring up the scripture. This is not a parenting message, but um, here's the promise that we're kind of standing on. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says this, a youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but, but physical discipline will drive it far away. This is what we're standing on. They need some foolishness out of their heart. And, and we're doing the best that we can as parents. And here's the thing. I know we're doing the right thing. Without a shadow of a doubt, I know we're doing the right thing. But here is where we find ourselves. We are, we're we're kind of not seeing any fruit right now. The, 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 whole, the, the whole foolishness being driven far away, it's, got, it's like half an inch away from their heart. But 95% of it's still all up in there, every single one of them. And we've been doing it and doing it and doing it. And we're like, all right, Lord, when is it going to happen? When will we actually begin to see this thing come to pass? Like, and, and here we are standing on God's word, waiting for it to come to pass. Have you ever been there before? Where you're believing God, you're doing what he says, and, and you have this dynamic where you know it's right, but you don't seem to see the fruit. You don't see the fulfillment. You, the, the, the promise doesn't seem to be coming to pass. And in this moment, here's what we begin to do. We begin to actually question, is God's word actually true? Will he do what he says he'll do? Did I really hear him? You see, I believe the the truth is is that we're not just called to live by the promises of Scripture in the written word, but we're actually called to live by the very things he's spoken in real time to us. What has he promised to you? What has he said to you? What has he shown you? Those words are just as alive as this Scripture. Those promises are, he is good for that promise just as much as he is good for the promises you read in Scripture. But a life of faith looks like you hanging out at the crossroads, doesn't it? The crossroads being, I'm doing what you said. Will I continue or will I abandon ship? Will I stay on this road? Will I be faithful to this word? Or will I believe something different? Some of you may be believing for healing in you or your family. 
Some of you might be believing for financial breakthrough, a promotion, a new job. Some of you might be believing for a relationship to come into your life. Um, the list goes on and on of all the things. A lot of us, we're believing for direction in our life. Lord, what am I supposed to do with my life? Well, guess what? At 37, I still don't know. So be encouraged. We're all lost, right? We're all still trying to figure it out. But we want answers and we want to see the whole thing. And we've, there's all these situations that, were, that put us in this place of, Lord, I'm believing, but I'm not seeing. Lord, I'm doing, but I'm not getting the, I don't seem to be getting the result of what your word says I should be getting. And it's in this place. First of all, raise your hand if you've been in this place. It's in this place that James says, consider it joy. This is what he's talking about. In the place of a trial, in the place of a testing of your faith. Our faith is being tested. It is a trial. In that place, he goes, oh, you're good. Consider it joy. Consider it pure joy. What an odd thing to say. How on earth do we find joy in this? Let me give you a, dis, a quick disclaimer. Can I just say that when it comes to the trials, what I believe trials are in the testing of our faith, I don't believe God brings sickness on our body to test us. I don't believe that he brings poverty, poverty into your life just to see if your faith is up or not. I don't believe that he brings anything that would you would consider stealing, killing, or destroying your life. He's a good God. Does he use those moments to teach you? He does. But I'm talking about the trial of the testing of your faith. Will you stand on the word or not? You may be waiting for your healing. The testing is, will you believe God or not? In this place, he says, consider it pure joy. And what I figured out over time of living a life of faith is that the only way that you can actually find joy in these moments is when you know without a shadow of a doubt that what he has promised will come to pass. It's actually finding a place where you are fully convinced of his reality over your reality. It's being in this place, well, I know that life sucks right now and I know that I'm going through a trial and it is really, really hard right now, but I'm convinced of something greater and what I am convinced of is more real to me than the, real, than the realness I seem to be walking in. Because it's in those moments, it's in those moments when you're convinced that, yeah, it stinks right now, but I'm going to get to the answer. The financial breakthrough is going to happen. My children actually are going to be good. I actually am going to enjoy being in my house once again. It's when you have those moments where you believe that. Guess what comes to your life? Joy. It's actually knowing that the promise is coming to pass that brings the joy in the middle of the trial. I remember um, this happened to me not too long ago. Uh, we, we have a situation with an investment that could really help us out financially, um, and, and it could be a really good thing for us. And so uh, it hasn't happened as fast as we've wanted. We've kind of been waiting. We're believing. But I've found moments where like, I've been daydreaming about what life could be like. And just, just a disclaimer here, I'm not talking about we're becoming millionaires by any, any means. Just a little help. And I just began to imagine, like, what would life kind of be like? You know, one of our desires is to have a home where 
our kids want to bring their friends to our home, want to hang out there. And we got dreams and I got things that I want to do to help people and help my family and all this stuff. And I was dreaming one day about it, what it would actually look like and be like and have the stuff. And, and I felt like the Lord interrupted that moment and said, Keith, that's going to happen. What you're thinking of right now, what you're, what you're dreaming of, that's actually going to happen. And, and like the best way for me to describe it is that the, the reality of that actually dropped down into my soul. And it was like, I was all by myself, but I just needed someone to be like, bro, like it's going to happen. This is actually going to happen. Everything I'm imagining, everything that I'm thinking of and dreaming of, it is actually going, I'm going to live that life. We're going to have those things. My kids and my family, they're actually going to have those things. All it is, it's just a matter of time. And it just got very, very real to me. Is this making sense? And when it got so real to me, you know what I began to do? I actually began to thank God that it, that it, that w- that it was going to happen. I had this moment where joy entered into my heart and I actually began to thank him. But in reality, guess what? I was still sitting in the same place I had still been. I'd always been. Even today, it still hadn't happened. But here I was sitting in the, the realness of this is my reality, but, all, but it was like I was transported into the future seeing like, oh, no, no, there's something more real than what I'm experiencing right now. A life of faith actually looks like you living over here. It actually looks like you living in this place fully convinced that what God has promised will actually happen. You say, okay, I get it, but how? One of the tools that I've learned to use when it comes to getting to this place of faith is actually learning how to thank God in advance before you ever see the answer. See, what I really came to, to tell you today is that as believers, I think we need to get a lot better at getting into such a place of faith that we begin to thank God for the answer before we ever see it. I'm talking about getting into a place where we believe him so much, it, joy comes up and we begin to thank him. We begin to, 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 to thank God like, oh my gosh, like it's going to happen. Not only that, here's, here's what's amazing about this. Uh, a lot of times you would say this, okay, Keith, I like your story. Really cool that he dropped that reality into your heart. But what if I'm in a place and that reality is not in my heart? Guess what? I've been there many times. I've been in that place where I'm like, Lord, I don't see it. I'm doing all I can to believe. But the truth is, I'm kind of like the, the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got thrown in the fire. They're like, yeah, our God's going to save us. But even if he doesn't, I'm still, gonna, I'm still not bowing down. It's that dynamic of faith. We're like, he's going to do it. But if he doesn't, that's just real life. And there's places of faith where like you actually can't even, you can't even picture it happening. 
So what do you do then? You do the same thing. You thank God in advance. You stand in faith and you thank God in advance for the answer that you want to see. You say, well, how does that work? How would, that, how would me thanking God for something that I don't even see, how would that even help the answer come to pass? Well, Scripture teaches that faith comes by hearing. And you know what you need to hear yourself say? You know you need, to, you need to be around? You need to be around yourself, hearing yourself thank God for the thing that you want to see. Because when you start thanking him for what you want to see, guess what it'll do? It'll start depositing more faith into your spirit. Lord, I thank you for that financial breakthrough. Lord, I thank you that that relationship is on its way. Lord, I thank you that you're making a way for me, that you're, that you're promoting me, that you're giving me the job of my dreams. Lord, I thank you that we are not going to struggle financially any longer. Lord, I thank you. And when you begin to thank him for it before you ever receive it, all of a sudden, it, it, it's, like a, it's like a strategy to, to, to start convincing yourself you'll actually begin to grab a hold of it by faith. It'll just start depositing faith and faith and faith, more faith in you, and then all of a sudden, you're actually believing what you're thanking him for. Does that make any sense? <laughs> you say, um, well, that sounds like hocus pocus. That sounds like positive thinking. Like, where'd you get that from? Tony Robbins? No, I didn't get it from Tony Robbins. I got it from Jesus Christ. Boom. Mark chapter 11 is they are the very words of Jesus. This is not some weird word of faith kind of thing. It's not some, oh man, I'm just thinking my way into things, creating my own world. No, no, no. Jesus actually teaches us this principle. Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, is on the backside of Jesus. You remember the story, he's with his disciples. He walks by the fig tree, curses it, comes back the next day, well, the fig tree's withered up. Remember the story? Jesus, no one remembers it. Well, that's what happened, okay? And he begins to teach his disciples what faith is because they freaked out. Like, Jesus, that fig tree was alive yesterday. You spoke to it. Now it's dead. What's up? And he begins to teach on faith, and he says, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Then verse 24, he says, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it'll be yours. This is a interesting scripture. He says, if you pray for anything, if you believe you've received it, it will be yours. <clears throat> Did you know that as Christians, as believers, when we pray for something, we're actually supposed to believe that what we're praying for is going to happen? So much so that as we're praying, we're believing that we've already received it before we ever see it. Can I say it this way? In other words, we're thanking God in advance before we ever see the fulfillment of the thing we're praying for. This is Jesus teaching on faith. This is, this is him teaching on like, this is how you live your life. It's like one of the aspects of being a believer, one of the aspects of being someone who lives by faith is you actually are so convinced of his words that you start to thank him in advance. That when you pray, you're actually believing, oh, I've got this thing. 
And in turn, what that does, it begins, it begins to create this praise. You begin to glorify God. You begin to thank him as if it were actually already done. James said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. You want to know how you get to that joy? Thank him in advance. You see the trial. Let me say it this way. You see the foolishness in your kid's heart. Oh, but I'm convinced of a greater reality. Oh, it's going to be driven far away from them. It will happen. It's just a matter of time. It's going to happen. I'm so convinced it's going to happen. They don't get a choice. They don't get to choose if foolishness stays. Because the word says it doesn't if I, if I discipline them. The word says that this is what happens when you engage in his, in his teachings. You see, I'm fully convinced. And I can sit there when the atomic bomb has gone off in my home. And I can just be like, oh, Lord, it's only a matter of time. They're actually going to be good kids. And if you have parents, you've thought that. Lord, are they going to turn out all right? God, I hope so. <laughs> they will. We begin to thank him in advance. You know, the Lord gave you an imagination for a reason. He gave you an imagination for a reason. Because he wanted to give you a tool to imagine what life could actually be like. Isn't that what an imagination is? Your kids, your kid, we, when you were a kid, you did not imagine things that were just everyday life. Your imagination was wild. You thought all kind, I tell, I tell stories to Kate at night, and I'm always, we're always going to the woods, this a magical forest with this little girl named Kate, and she meets this unicorn that can fly named Sophia. I just make up junk, you know? And they just, she, this little unicorn takes her on adventures every night. And guess what? I had, to, I, had to start, I had to start working that imagination muscle that I have lost. And she's like, will you tell me a story tonight? I'm like, no, yes. I do not want to use my imagination again. I don't feel like being joyful right now. I don't feel like being cute and princessy and talking about glitter and crap. I just want to go to bed. <laughs> Kids, they, I can even see when I'm just making up this story. She just starts to giggle and smile and laugh, and I just make up stuff. Like we are, we're, we've, we've been given this imagination and I, and I believe like never before, I've never seen this before. I think your imagination, one of the reasons it was given to you is so that you could create faith in, a, in another realm. Oh, that's good right there. You could create faith in another realm, a realm that, that is heaven coming to earth. Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, I made you to imagine heaven on earth, even when you don't see it. And we get there and we get to that place and we begin to imagine that and all of a sudden we'll start to have a little faith in it. We'll start to put a little belief in it. 
And when it gets down in your soul, you know what you'll begin to do? You'll start to thank him for it. When you really want it to become a reality, you'll start to thank him for it. I mean, I've, I thank God for a lot of things. I thank God that I'm a good preacher. I thank God that when I open my mouth, miracles actually happen. Lord, thank you that when I lay my hands on the sick, they really recover. I'm thanking him for things that I don't necessarily see all the time. Because I know that I need a believer in here to get ramped up. As we step into the Christmas season, you know, the Lord began to remind me of a message that I preached long, uh, a long time ago. And I was like, Lord, why do you keep reminding me of this, this, this message? And finally, he showed me what he wanted to say. I, I had done some research on the wise men. And these, these wise men, they were, astro- that's what they actually were, they were astrologers. They were able to read the signs of the time. They were re- actually able to read the sky and the stars. There's a reason they were able to recognize the, something happening in the heavens. We, real, we, we hear the story about them coming to see Jesus, seeing the star, coming to see Jesus. And if you're anything like me, in your head, you just think, well, they probably lived right around the block. They threw the gold, frankincense, and myrrh in the trunk. They drove over, had a good afternoon with Jesus, and just went back home. No, these were men from Persia, Jesus being born in Bethlehem. The journey from Persia to Bethlehem is a three to four month journey, one way. What's fascinating about the story is that when they saw the star and they loaded up them camels, they had to load up enough provision for the journey, they had to load up all the gifts they would give to Jesus, And when they set out, they knew they were setting out on a six to eight month journey round trip. We read these stories and we're like, we just kind of go, oh, that's cool. No, can you imagine packing up your stuff for six to eight months because you saw a star? (laughs) Amazing faith, amazing faith. And you read in Matthew chapter two, where the wise men sit before Herod and they're kind of telling Herod how they saw the star and all the things. Then it makes this statement in Matthew chapter two, verse 10. Speaking of the wise men, it said, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they saw the star, they rejoiced. In other words, they worshiped and they were filled with exceedingly great joy. Notice this scripture doesn't say when they saw Jesus. It doesn't say when they saw Jesus, they rejoiced. It doesn't say when they saw Jesus, they were filled with joy. It says when they saw the star. They rejoiced when they just saw the promise. They were thanking God at the simple promise. Oh, that star means Jesus is there. 
Oh, that star means a savior is actually born. Oh, that star means that the promise has actually been fulfilled. Oh, that star means my kids will be protected. Oh, that star means you will open up windows of heaven and pour a blessing on me. Oh, that star means you actually mean what you say, God. And though I don't see windows of heaven opening up, they are opening up. Oh, though I don't see my calling, I'm going to get to it. Oh, though I don't see myself living in my destiny yet, I will live in the thing that you've called me to live because there's a star. There's the word. There's the promise. And I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to get thankful and I'm going to glorify and I'm going to praise you before I ever see it because I'm actually going to, it's the praise that I give to you that actually gets me to my breakthrough. It's the praise that I, that, that I give you that actually gets me to the place where I see Jesus. People have been thanking God in advance for years. The father of our faith Abraham, he waited 24 years before he actually saw the fulfillment of the promise. Can you imagine? Here God comes, you're the father of many nations, 24 years before he has Isaac. You know what it says in in Romans chapter four? It says he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. This, how many believe the Bible's true? Absolute truth. When it says Abraham didn't waver, it means he didn't waver. In fact, if you look in the Greek, it means he didn't waver. I'm just kidding, that was a bad pastor's joke. He didn't waver, but look at it. He was strengthened in faith. How? Giving glory. That means in the midst of the 24 years, he gave glory to God that he would be the father of many nations. And as he gave glory, he was strengthened in faith. As he thanked him in advance, he was strengthened in faith. As he praised him before he ever saw his son, he got strengthened in faith, which in turn led him to a place where he didn't even waver. It says in the first, in the 19, he didn't even consider that he was old. He didn't even consider it. Didn't even consider that the womb of Sarah was just way too old. He knew, the father of our faith, he knew. If God said it, it's gonna come to pass. I want us to be a people who believe God at his word. Man, this brings perspective to your trial and it brings perspective to the testing of your faith. Because they're in the trial waiting for the answer to come. When you know it's gonna come, you start to thank him. And then guess what? You're filled with joy. And guess what comes on the backside of joy? The strength you need to endure. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon. 